0: So let me ask you a question. Um, in the ordinary stuff of life, uh, think about the times that you have had to wait and talk to me about those times, okay? When have you needed to wait in life? Maybe it was this week, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was this morning when uh, you were in the car and somebody wasn't there yet. When, when did you have to wait? Let me hear. Nobody had to wait ever for anything. Okay, here we go. You had to wait for what? Very sad waiting, where you don't know until the next week when you hear the doctor's report. Yep. What else has made you wait? Waiting for the birth of a child. Waiting for the birth of a child, and uh, that seemed like it took a long time. I think grandchildren take longer to come. <laughs> At least when it's a child of your own, you can poke your face in and say, "Is he coming yet?" When it's a grandchild, you have to just sort of politely keep your distance, so yeah, I don't know. When else did you need to wait? Safe to say when your wife is not here. old brave man that you are. When else did you have to wait? I had to wait when I applied to Canada. You had to wait where you, when what? Wow. Waiting. Good. The waiting room is an interesting place, isn't it? Where you are out of control. Um, You simply sit there and you hope that uh, you were there before most of these people or you hope that you're maybe even just a little bit sicker than the others so the triage nurse sends you in first. All of those things that are simply the process of waiting. Um, I'm waiting for the screen to work, and so so far not so good. Um, but we have been talking about sorrow, and, and I know to some folks it's been surprising that the topic of sorrow is what I've chosen during Advent. Why are we talking about being sad during a time that we are excited about the coming of Jesus? And I would remind you that the re- the reason for that is that sorrow is best understood, best experienced in the context of the hope of Advent. Um, Because Jesus came, um, the causes of our sorrow have been dealt with at their root. So it's a a good thing to stop in the middle of Advent and ask about the sorrow of our lives. And so we talked, first of all, and heard a psalm that the psalmist um, was given to give to the choir leader, to, to the person who's telling the congregation to sing. And the song that he was given that the congregation would be invited to sing is a song that is a sad, sad song. There, there's hardly any hope in it except for just a little glimmer of the word hope that shows up um, in the middle of the psalm. But mostly it's God seeming to be absent, And we talked about um, this uh, set of stages that people might go through in dealing with sorrow. And I told you about this uh, fellow called Phil Zylo who teaches at McMaster. And he he talks about the fact that the first place that we often find ourselves in the middle of sorrow is that we are mute. Um, We have nothing to say. We are rendered wordless. ...by the sorrow that has come into our lives. And the sorrow may be from a variety of sources, of course, of course. But uh, the first thing that happens is that we're mute. And the psalmist we we saw said, I'm not, I can't say anything. I have no words to bring to this. Um, I, I am left with nothing. The second stage after that, after being muted or being silenced... ...caused to be wordless by our sorrow, is lament... And there are several psalms that are psalms of lament. They, they are simply stating how bad it is. Uh, th- they don't provide very many remedies. They don't provide reasons. They just talk about, they honestly confess how bad it is. And we saw that perhaps the, the, the most instructive lament of the whole scripture um, is the lament of Jesus on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? And that is a lament. It is, it is a statement of just how terrible the current situation is. Why have you forsaken me? Because, in fact, the father had forsaken the son, at least in the son's experience or understanding, and maybe even truly so. And so the son on the cross cries out a lament, quoting Psalm 22, and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So as we think about a lament this morning, um, we're going to go to another psalm, um, and this psalm is Psalm 40, and I simply want to bring you to the first verse of Psalm 40, so whether or not the screen supports me or not. Here's what it says. I waited, waited for the Lord, and he bent down to me and heard my cry. It's a New English uh, translation of Psalm 40, verse 1. And uh, Derek Hinder is reckoned to be one of the greatest commentators on the poetic books of the Old Testament. And so he says this is the best way to render what the psalmist is saying. Once again, it's a song given to the song leader, to the choir director, for the congregation to sing. So the congregation has moved from being asked to sing a song about God's absence to now singing a song about God's deliverance. And the song leader says, let's sing this song now. Enough time has been given to the silence, Um, but there needed to be enough time for the grace of silence, for the grace of mutism, the grace of being wordless, um, being left stunned by the effect of the tragedy that has happened to us and has become our sorrow. Um, that now has given way to enough words to say how bad it truly is. This is how bad it truly is. And the psalmist many times confesses how bad it truly is. And he calls on his friends to support him against his enemies, and he wonders where God is, and he's in fear for his life many times. Um, That's how bad it is. But now the psalmist says, here's here's a new song for the congregation to sing. It's for the choir director. Get the congregation to sing this. Here's how it begins. I waited, waited for the Lord, and he bent down to me and heard my cry. I don't know what that evokes in you. I hope it evokes some sort of an image or some sort of a feeling. Um, What Kidner says is that, that it's this I waited, and then he said, "You should take a pause before you say the next thing.". I waited. I waited, and there's just the pregnancy of of that dwelling on how desperately the psalmist was experiencing life, how desperately he needed the rescue from God that he was hoping for but he involved himself in a discipline, a practice, the practice of waiting, just waiting. I suppose it's really like most of the ways we have to wait in life. Um, it just You just have to wait until what it is you're hoping for comes about or what it is you're dreading actually is told to you. Whatever it is, you, you just wait. You, you sit there. And similarly, in the Christian life, um, there's a great deal of waiting for all of you. I'm sure there are things that have to do with your spiritual lives, your your Christian lives, your your family lives, where there's something right now that you're waiting for. Um, You just can't have it yet. And boy, this is a terrible time in the world's history to have to wait for something, isn't it? We don't wait for anything. Um, I can't wait for a book to be delivered to me in hard copy version because I can get a Kindle version right now on my iPad. And I don't want to wait for the hard copy. When Amazon Prime tells me it's not going to be there tomorrow, I have a fit because I have Amazon Prime. I deserve to have it on my porch tomorrow. And by the way, if you're one of the porch thieves, shame on you. Just saying. Um, I want things. I want things now, and I don't want to wait for. I don't want to wait for things. I, I think we've all given in to that. That for part of our lives we may have known that we needed to wait, and we may have known that there was something good about having to wait. But nah, not anymore, because um, we can have it right now. And yet, in some of our lives, or all of our lives, I'm sure there are some situations where we just can't have. Right now, what we want. We have to wait for something. And it it causes us great consternation. It causes us great consternation with God when He will not deliver to us the things that we're wanting from Him or expecting from Him right now. And yet, the psalmist says to the whole congregation, Sing this song I waited. I waited for the Lord. God will invite us to wait. Uh, Some people have fairly simplistically, I think, but maybe truly said that there are three answers to any prayer that um, God dispenses um, when we get his attention. He either says, yes, that's what we want, or he says, no, that's not what we want, or he says, wait, right? And we don't want to hear that either. I desperately want the yes. I don't want the no. And are you serious? Is there not an easier way than wait? But God will often say to us, by the experience of the waiting or by the word that He speaks into our hearts and minds, you need to wait for this. So the psalmist says, I waited. I waited for the Lord. And then I love this language where he bent down to me and heard my cry. So there's where I have an image. What's the image that you have? The image I have is of a dad or a mom or an older person or a teacher. And there's a little person. And the big person, whoever that is, bends down to listen. Um, If we want children to listen to us. This only works until they're adolescence, and it doesn't work then. But until then, if you get down on your knees and look at them eye to eye, you'll have a better chance that they're listening to you. And We talked about this upstairs this morning, that all of us have sons who don't listen. So with them, we have to say things like this. Look at me. Say what I said to you just now. Say that back to me exactly what I said to you all of us seem to have sons who can't get that right and so you better just get used to it just get used to saying say it back to me pay attention it's important to pay attention and then you may get farther ahead but the image of that little child um, when a little child has the notion that she or he has your attention First of all, if you're a grandparent, if you're a grandfather, you are wrapped around that little child's finger because she knows that when she talks to you, she can have your undivided attention and whatever else she should happen to ask for. But that's the image of the psalm. The image of the psalm is God reaching down, like coming down, uh, taking notice, bending down to, to be there with his child. Um, and hearing my cry, says the psalmist. And then he goes on, and he has lovely words to talk about how it is for him now, just as well as he has been able to say how bad it actually is. Then he gets to say how good it actually is. It's a God reached down and found him in the miry clay and in the the shaky ground and put him on a rock and so now the psalmist is caused to sing songs of triumph, to sing songs of joy, because God has heard his cry and has reached down to lift him up and to help him. As we think about the waiting that may be our lot, um, there are three things that I think are important for us to kind of pitch our tents on for uh, a few moments today. I think there are three Ps that uh, we are will characterize our waiting. Um, first of all, we're, we're often waiting for a promise. Um, that can be just a human promise or an appointment or an arrangement or whatever it is. Maybe it's a closing a deal or whatever it is, but it's something that has been indicated to you that you can wait for this and get it. What has been Confirmed um, to you is, is a promise to you. Somebody has maybe promised something to you, and you're waiting because he hasn't given you the things he promised or the thing he promised just yet. Um, we can torque we can that to an enormous spiritual value um, where we say that there are promises that are made to us, and they're actually promises made by God to us, and we're waiting for those. And because they are made by God to us, we say, this is the promise I can take to the bank. I was talking to a young lady um, last weekend, I thought she had an engagement ring on, so this is not about anybody in here, just so that we're not starting any rumors or something like that, right? So I, I saw, it, it was a lovely ring, and it was on her ring finger, like her engagement finger, So I asked her when she was going to get married, and she said, I don't know. He hasn't asked yet. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I I thought that was an engagement ring. No, no, no. She said, this is a promise ring. I said, that is a really beautiful promise ring. She says, yeah, and the engagement ring ought to be a whole lot more than this. And the promise had better be more than a promise this Christmas. I'd say, I, man, I, if, if I see her after Christmas, I don't know what I would say. If she's still wearing the prom, or maybe no ring, oh, I don't know how that's going to end up. But she thought, at least in her mind and her experience, and, and I think she was fully you know, um, weighing into this, that a promise had been made um, that would be kept. She expected the promise ring to be the engagement ring and the date for the wedding celebration. The promises that we have were made by somebody with whom we have a relationship, as did she. But so much more, a relationship, it's a covenant relationship, it's a father relationship, um, and it, it is given to us in just various and sundry ways as we read through the stories of the Bible. It's given to us by the names that God calls himself, and When we listen to him tell us that his name is Jehovah something or other, he's also making a promise to us. He's saying that that's my name. The first part of it declares that we are in a relationship, that I am your God. I am your God whose name you know. And then the next part of it is how I will behave. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Because it's God who's talking and he's telling me this is his name, I can take that as a promise and say, there's a rule of thumb that I can live by. Um, I, I can trust that God will provide because that's what his name is. There are other ways that we count on the promises of God, even though we have to wait for them. Uh, and the waiting can become sweet when we know that the person that has made the promise is one who's good for the promise. So one of the things that God has promised us is that there will be no temptation that comes our way um, that God won't also provide a way of release from it. Now, everything that happens to us happens to people. And, well, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes when you say, well, there are a lot of people who have the very same sorrow that I have because the very same things have happened to many, many people. Um, but, To the many, many people in a relationship with God, they have a God who says, you will not be overwhelmed by this. I I will show you that there's a way out so that you can stand up under it. When it feels as though you're going to crash because of the weight that is upon you, God says, you won't. You won't. And here's the psalmist saying, I waited, I waited. And yeah, that God, he, he reached down. To me where I was and it was not overwhelming it felt overwhelming and it won't help me very much if you tell me that all things work together for good or won't help me very much if you tell me that other people suffer the same way because if I'm in my time of silence you ought to just respect that and be silent as well just sit there for a while be more helpful than having an answer but if I can understand that there are promises that I can count on and that are worth waiting for, um, whatever they are. The second thing is that we're, um, we're waiting for a person, um, to, to say what's quite obvious. So here's this lovely um, um, Samuel Beckett play called Waiting for Godot. Um, it's one of those things. I keep on picking on English teachers, so here I go. It's one of those things that you read in English class and you go, what? Um, So what is Waiting for Godot all about? Um, Beckett wrote that in 1953. It was performed in Paris, probably in French. Uh, It's about two characters for the most part and a non-existent character called Godot. And it's called Waiting for Godot. And so maybe the most interesting dialogue is Halfway two-thirds of the way through it um, One of the two says let's go the other says we can't Why not? We have to wait wait for what? wait for Godot we're never told is Godot a person is there an intention for him to return has he made it clear that he's going to return um, did he say that this is where we should wait for him to return um, is it was it today that he intended to return waiting for Godot and the in, in this theater of the absurd um, it, all of it is about this elephant in the room this character uh, whom you really don't even know who it is or where he's from or, or what it's all about so there's no point in the waiting because they're waiting for Godot. There is absolutely point in our waiting because we're waiting for God. We're we're waiting for a person. Um, We're not waiting for an idea. We're not waiting for um, a way. We're not waiting for a a formula. We're we're waiting for a person. And and the psalmist says, uh, in my waiting, it finally yielded this outcome um, that the person for whom I was waiting reached down he came he 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 came down into the midst of my sorrow and he picked me up he and now i'm filled with praises for him because the the person has come um you need to know how god who god is as well as you can because the more you know who god is and how god is and what God does, the more you have some data um, to, to back up what you're expecting, what you're waiting for. Um, and be careful about what you're told. Be careful about what people will tell you about the, the inclinations of God. M- make sure that it's a biblical view of God, not one that is spun by you know contemporary culture or by contemporary teachers, um, you always need to be the, the person from Missouri, right, where you say, I doubt it. So when someone tells you something about God, first of all, say, I doubt it. That's a good place to start. Uh, you know, you should not doubt I, what I say to you, but you should doubt what everybody else says to you. The the point is, are you sure? Because when you are as sure as you can be about the character of God, then you're willing to put in the time to bide the time for the waiting because you know there was a promise or a set of promises and you know the person that gave you that promise or put that promise out there um, and you have no reason to doubt his character. You have no reason to doubt his intentions um, on the basis of what you have read, seen, experienced, um, the Bible is a book full of stories that are case histories that say, do you want to know what God is like? See what he does. And when you watch what he does, it probably will give you a bit of a glimpse into the character of that person, the, the intentions of that person. So we're waiting for a promise. We're waiting for a person. And then the the last P. Um, I just love alliteration. I don't, but here was one three Ps, and it worked. Um, the, the third is a purpose. In in our waiting, when when somebody can give us um, a why for the waiting, we can hang on a bit longer, right? We can hold on just a while longer if we have a sense of the why. Now. When we have the promises of God and we know that it's God himself who has made those promises and who is good for them, then we can do the hard work of struggling through the why. And I I talked about that a bit last week. We've talked about it before, that I have my answer to the big why of suffering, but there are far more answers that, that serve that big answer of the roof being pulled down on our head um, the why questions um, have to do with what God is purposing to do in the middle of my sorrow. And when I know that he has made promises that he will never leave me or forsake me, right? That's, he, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. That's a promise that God has made to you. If so, I can hold on. Who is it that says he'll never leave me or forsake me? It's the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the God of covenant with me. So it's this person. So then I can, I can wonder about the purpose that he has. Um, God always has a purpose in the middle of my sorrow, in the middle of my suffering. That's an entirely different thing than saying God is the reason for my suffering, right? And and we make that mistake far too easily. Or we dismiss that possibility far too easily. Maybe God is the reason, and you should pay attention to that. But maybe not, and you're fretting over something you don't need to. Um, but where God is in the why is that he's in the middle of it with us. Um, when God is the spectator of this debacle of our pulling down the roof on our own heads and it is hitting us randomly, chaotically. Do you know where God is? He He's in the middle of the rumble the rubble. He's not watching it from an armchair. He is there. He has come into our world as one of us to be there with us. He has suffered the worst thing we suffer, which is death. And even eternal death, even separation from God eternally for a moment, for hours, whatever it was, he has come into the middle of it with us. That's where he is. Where is God when it hurts? There, right there. Uh, and if, if you can wait, um, holding on to the promises, holding on to the person, you may get a glimpse of the purpose. I I don't know that God has committed himself to explaining things at all. He wouldn't need to. He could do whatever he wants. Um, He he just seems to be kind like that and seems to help us out like that. Um, I don't know how it felt to be Job, and and that's kind of the the fly in the ointment where I say this kind of thing, and I don't know if Job ever understood why. Maybe he does now, or maybe he's got a special... um, little room that he is uh, privy to that he goes in there often and says to god okay just explain that to me one more time satan came to heaven and you said what okay 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 go Go and think about that and then tomorrow he goes back to the same place and then you said he could what okay so so maybe job doesn't get the why but i think sometimes we do um People often will be able to reflect on their sorrow, reflect on on their struggle, reflect on their illness. And many, many, many times folks will say to me, I I don't want to go through this again. I don't want anyone else to have to go through this. But I I wouldn't give up what has happened through it in my life. Um, There is something of God that you see. There is something from God that you see. And you you get to feel like the psalmist, and you say, "I waited, I waited, but he heard my cry." And this is what I saw. This is how he he worked in me and and through me. Um, the purpose: Why does God allow suffering? Well, there are theological, philosophical reasons, but there's always a practical Christian growth reason that says God always wants you to grow, and he always wants to be glorified. Those two things I know for sure. What happens in my life will help me grow if I submit to God in the midst. And what happens in my life should get glory to God. Um, I remember one person who said, when he had just heard some bad news from his doctor, he said, well, we have to pray now. And he, he prayed something like this. Father, help me to respond to this like a Christian, not a pagan. Thought, wow. That was just a mature prayer for somebody who had bad news and a bad prognosis and a sorry state of life that was just around the corner. Um, he said, well, I, I, I want God to be glorified. We talked about that, that he wanted God to be glorified to so help him to to react to this, to respond to this like a Christian, not like a pagan, not to disparage pagans, but just to say there should be a difference between the way a Christian endures suffering and sorrow and the person that is is not a follower of Christ. Do you have to wait? Yes, sadly so. For many things in life. But there are actually things that are definitely worth waiting for. Uh, Advent is um, a season that we we eagerly w- wait for the coming of Christ. You know, we l- a little bit more light week by week, because um, what would come with the Christ uh, was absolutely worth waiting for. Um, we ask the question why in the midst of the coming of Christ and the fact that we pair um advent with the lord's table and you say well but why did he have to die well a human answer to that question is because rotten human beings killed him they plotted against him um they tricked him um they they turned his followers against him and they crucified him they 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 made up stuff they they pulled out laws and said there you go that's but that's that's not the right why. The right why is, is because that's why God sent him. He came here to die. So to take the communion at Advent is as appropriate as thinking about sorrow with the hope of Advent in the background. So we're going to sing a little bit more, um, and I invite you to come and take the bread and the cup, take it back with you to your seat, or take it here if you like, and... Um, We put the cross behind it because that is the most powerful symbol that we carry forward. And as I mentioned before, many of you will remember the reason you put the thumbtack in the cross a couple of years ago. Um, So remember that. And whatever it is, maybe you can now reflect on that and wonder, has the waiting since then been productive in your life? What was it you started then when you put that tack in or whatever? Um, Are you waiting? Yes, yes. Waiting waiting for a promise, waiting for a person, um, and waiting for a purpose. And so it's all good. I, I can wait. Knowing that, I waited. I waited, and, and he reached down.